Heavenly Father, we just invite you to speak to us from your word this morning. We ask that you to open our minds, our hearts, to hear what you want to say to us. We know that you're very much alive, that you're very much interested in our lives and engaged in them. Help us to engage with you this morning as we look at your word and as we listen for your spirit to speak. Grateful for your grace. Thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who know me, I, you know that I enjoy history some, and I recently learned that during George Washington's first term as president, he borrowed a book. He borrowed it from the historic New York Society Library. He borrowed the book, The Law of Nations, and then he did what many have done over the years. He got distracted and forgot about it. The library never brought it up. Because, after all, the borrowing patron was none other than the liberator of the country and national hero, the first president. You just don't ask that guy for your book back. You know, that's kind of the way it is. So for 221 years, the law of nations sat on the shelf of George Washington's Virginia home until 2010, when the Mount Vernon staff realized its rightful owner. They sent it back to the New York Library. And uh, all was well, right? Well, uh, the overdue book fines were tallied at that point. (laughs) They came to a total of over $300,000, which thankfully the head librarian, Mark Bartlett, had the authority to forgive, and he graciously did. Again, because you don't want to be the guy, you know, who goes after the liberator of the nation, the national hero, the first president for $300,000. So uh, uh, his fines were forgiven. Well, this morning, what I want to do, I mean, that's kind of a, a, an interesting uh, little history story, but I want to remind you this morning that there's one far greater than Mark Bartlett who has the authority and the desire to forgive your sins, your shortcomings, and mine, whether they're for an overdue book or something far greater, which generally is the case for every one of us. And we worship and we follow and we learn from Jesus because of his wisdom, his grace, his many sacrifices for us. This morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, because every one of us needs to see Jesus has the power and the desire to forgive. We need to be reminded of that. If you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have one, grab one on the shelf in front of you. Uh, I would would really, really, you would, would make my Labor Day if I could see all of us like flipping through pages, finding your way, thank you, to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, obviously, if you don't have one near you, follow along on the screen. Obviously, this is there for those who are on the live stream, which, hello, all of you on the live stream, because we have several at various other locations this weekend. But Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 1 and work our way through uh, the first eight verses. Are you there? Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town, the Bible tells us. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. 
And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. Now, this incident in the life and ministry of Jesus tells us a lot about him. And for the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to focus our thoughts together on four discoveries that each of us can make about Jesus in these verses. Four discoveries that if you and I take seriously, we reflect on them uh, uh, deeply this morning a little bit. Uh, they'll fill us with assurance. Uh, they'll, they'll give us confidence. It'll help hope to grow in us. These are just discoveries or in some instances reminders that many of us need because life has a way of distracting us, drawing our attention away from the things that we know, things that we believe, but sometimes get foggy on. So for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about these four discoveries that we can make about Jesus in these verses. And the first discovery that shows up real clearly is that Jesus honors faith. And he honors faith wherever he sees it. Wherever he sees it. Did you notice who was filled with faith in this particular situation? And a little clue, it was not the paralyzed man. Do you notice who had the faith? Look at verse 2. It just reveals it real clearly. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat, and notice what the text says, seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. Jesus spoke to the man and, and, and healed him. Here's what I want you to think about. Some of us are in a relationship right now with someone who needs God's help, needs God's forgiveness, needs God's intervention in their life in some way. Maybe they don't have the faith. Maybe they don't have the ability to seek Him for themselves right now. But you do have the faith to come alongside of them. And part of what I want you to see here is that if you've got the faith to help them to intervene, to assist in some way on God's behalf, God will honor that faith. He will honor your faith you need to demonstrate a little faith by helping someone to reach out to Jesus, to come to Jesus. Do you need to intervene on his behalf? Is this not part of what the scriptures mean when it speaks of you and me being the light of the world or the salt of the earth and these kind of things? This is part of what it means. So who would God this morning maybe tug at your heart and say, you know this person, they're far from me. Will you come alongside them with the faith that you have? And intervene and help. Jesus will honor that kind of faith. We see that here. Second discovery we can make about Jesus in these verses is that Jesus forgives those who will actually come to him. I mean, he forgives them. I want you to listen again to Jesus' words in uh, verse 2. He says to the paralyzed man, he says, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. I think it's significant. He refers to him as my child. He's He's embracing him. He's, he's reaching out to him, Jesus. Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Now, apparently, sin had played a role in this man's condition because Jesus says, you know, your sins are forgiven. We're not given the details in the text. And minimally, we know that sin has been playing a role in every man, every woman's condition ever since the Garden of Eden. So... Even if Jesus was just speaking in general terms, there were specific broken things in this man's soul that would be characteristic of every man. We think of Romans 3.23, which just says, the summary of Scripture is that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So I, minimally, Jesus is addressing that. 
But my inclination is to think Jesus probably is speaking to something specific, maybe even something specific that contributed to his paralysis. We don't know, perhaps. Here's the unique surprising discovery that we can make about Jesus here, though. He doesn't greet a sinner like this or a sinner like us with condemnation and rejection. He greets us with kindness and forgiveness. That's not often what we see and experience from our world, from people around us, is it? Something's broken in us. Uh, we're, We're often rejected. We're often belittled or condemned, and so we work really hard to hide all of these things. Let me illustrate what's what I kind of got in mind here. What is our experience? You know, earlier this year, maybe you heard about it or not, I, I don't know, but Nick Lutz, he's a student at the University of Central Florida. He received a handwritten four-page letter from his ex-girlfriend who was apologizing for the mistakes she'd made in her relationship, in their relationship. And this was his response right here. This was page one of the four pages. He marked up her apology letter with red ink as though it were a college paper and uh, gave it a D minus and put it back in the mail to her. He noted an indentient error. He criticized the long, boring introduction. He scrutinized the body of the paper. Uh, He highlighted numerous statements that he felt like were suspect. Uh, And in the conclusion of the letter, Lutz wrote that his ex had a strong hypothesis, but nothing to actually back it up, lacking supportive evidence, uh, commenting that she should stop contradicting her own story, pick a side, And then since that wasn't enough, he took photos of all four pages, tweeted them out to the world, and in today's messed up world, as of February of this year, he had received more than 330,000 likes for his shaming of his ex-girlfriend, who, if you read, which I read a little bit, I didn't read the whole thing, she'll be glad to know that, but I read a little bit. But, you know, they, they had some issues. They had some issues. Young ladies, don't behave like this lady, this young lady. And young men, don't behave like this young man, right? It's kind of cold, wouldn't you say? That's sort of what we expect from God sometimes. Like God's going to spot our shortcomings and then start critiquing the detail of our lives and pointing out every little nuance of brokenness and flawedness and that he's going to somehow shame us in front of 330,000 people. This This is what we think God might do to us, but I want you to hear the words of Jesus to all who will come to him for forgiveness. All of us who are sinners, all of us who are broken, these are his words. He's saying, be encouraged, my child, be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. I'm not going to shame you in front of millions of people. I'm not going to shame you in front of all of heaven someday. Be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. And that's particularly shocking when the third discovery in the text reveals that Jesus knows our thoughts. He doesn't just see our actions According to verse 3 and 4, he, he knows our thoughts. Look at verse 3. So, some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, you know, who, who are they speaking to? They're thinking to themselves. 
That's blasphemy. Who does he think he is? Do you think he's God? I mean, that's what they're saying to themselves here. Jesus, notice what it says at the beginning of the verse. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew their evil, their judgmental, their self-centered thoughts, which means he knows ours. He knows our temptations. He knows the full extent of our brokenness. He knows our innermost thoughts. There's nothing we can hide from him. Some of us go to great lengths to try to think that we're hiding something from God. There's nothing that's hidden from God. And he's still eager to forgive. He's still eager to forgive. The fourth discovery about Jesus is that he proves the authenticity of his authority and desire to forgive. It's amazing what he does here in the text. When you look at verse 5 following, he says, Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Just answer, which is easier? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Yeah, I know you're nervous. Yes. Yes. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. That was, that was the whole point of what he was trying to communicate here. How can a person verify forgiveness? How do you verify it? You can't this side of the judgment seat of God. Right? You can't. But the healing of a paralyzed man... Hmm. Now I'm laying on the ground, and now I can stand up and walk. That's verifiable, right? Both are impossible from a human standpoint. Forgiveness, healing. But Jesus did the verifiable, impossible thing to prove his authority and power and desire to also forgive sin an even greater impossible thing from a human standpoint. It's even more amazing to me, he not only proved his authority and desire there, but I think the miracle was done as much for the teachers of religious law as it was for the paralyzed man. This is why he did it. Jesus hoped that they would believe for their sakes in his power and his desire to forgive sin. And he just thought to himself, how can I convince them? How can I convince them? And this was how he did it. Because Jesus knows that we're all pretty hard to persuade, the Bible tells us he didn't stop proving his power or his desire to forgive sin there. after enduring a horrific suffering and death. Remember the other proof that Jesus gave? He rose from the dead, right? He rose from the dead. Here's the point. Jesus has the power. He has the desire to forgive you, to forgive me whether we're bound and crippled up like this man physically or emotionally or spiritually, he, he, wants, to, he wants to forgive. He has the authority to do it, the desire to do it. He, he wants to forgive. If we've been like this 
teacher of religious law that's referred to here in the text. He wants to forgive if you happen to be that person or someone more judgmental than him. And he's proven it. This book proves it. Jesus' impact on the world and its history proves it. His empty grave proves it. There's a cross that proves it. The question then in Matthew 9, the question now is, will you believe it? Will you believe it's for you? Will you believe that that he actually looks at you and says, he, he calls you his child, says, be encouraged, my child. Your sins, though they be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. They're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. A few moments we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. And as our ushers pass those emblems and you eat the bread and drink the juice, here's my encouragement to you. Just to take a few moments in quiet and just as you you take those emblems and just say, Lord Jesus, I believe. Thank you. Thank you that you did this for me. Thank you that you healed this man. Thank you that you endured a cross. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that you're coming again. And when I stand before your throne, uh, because my heart is humble before you, and because of your great mercy, I'm going to hear you say, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Receive that this morning. Let's bow our heads together and pray, and then our ushers will serve us. The bread, symbol of Jesus' body, and the juice, symbol of his blood. His proof that he has power and desire to forgive. The desire was demonstrated by the cross. The authority and power is demonstrated in the grave. Lord Jesus, we thank you, or the the empty grave. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you care. You don't respond to us like we would expect sometimes. Instead, you're merciful, you're gracious. You treat us as we do not deserve, with dignity, as your child, you forgive. As we take these emblems this morning, Lord, we remember, we thank you. Would you fill our hearts with faith? Would you cleanse our hearts with your blood? Would you restore our hope with your presence? Would you guide our steps with your spirit? We want to walk in your ways, full of your forgiveness. And we want the joy and the peace that that brings to overflow our lives and our souls into every person and every place we go. Meet us in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.
If you need prayer for something this morning, you'd like someone to to pray for you specifically about something, we'd be happy to do that as we wrap up. We'd also want to encourage you, if you never demonstrated your faith in Christian baptism as the Bible teaches, we'd like to help facilitate that for you in the future. If that's uh, something that you uh, need to do, you can let us know about that. you got something else you'd like somebody to pray for. Just come on down afterwards and we'll pray for you. Uh, but right afterwards as well, we have Sunday Plus, which is the brunch. So I uh, would encourage you to make sure and hang around, check that out. It's going to be, uh, going to be really good. We have uh, all kinds of good breakfast things that you have brought as well as others. And if you didn't bring something this morning, no biggie. Just stay because we've got plenty. We want to uh, enjoy the opportunity of fellowshipping together. So let's stand together. Let's pray. And I'll hang around down here a little bit. And hopefully you'll leave a little bit for me by the time, <laughs> by the time I get over there. Okay? Let's pray. I want to ask a blessing on our meal, too, okay? Heavenly Father, so grateful for your grace. And uh, as we uh, enjoy the meal together and the fellowship, we just ask for your presence and ask for your blessing on all of that. But just bless us. Help us to be salt and light as we go out this week. Help us to be encouragers wherever we go. Pray, Father, that you'd help us to, to remember to be lifting up places like Texas and other places in our nation. Help us to not to not just be a part of the never-ending criticism and judgmental spirit that is so evident in our country right now. Help us instead, God, to be people who foster and encourage your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. Help us to not be people given to gossip and bitterness, but to be people filled with love and joy, proclaiming a God who has a better way. Help us to stay focused in those ways, O God. And now bless our fellowship and our meal together. We look forward to being together next week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.